right. Thank you very much. All right. If you would turn to John chapter 8 this morning. John chapter 8. We've been taking some time every month to talk about the issue of happiness. And the reason for that is that loving people are concerned about happiness. Loving people are concerned about the happiness of other people. And God is indeed the greatest lover of all. And so we want to continue talking about what it looks like to pursue our happiness in God. So that we'll be more loving, actually. It's an interesting dynamic. Now, there is a way to pursue your happiness that is not loving at all. But there is a way, a godly way to pursue your happiness in God that makes you incredibly loving. And so that's why it's important to talk about this and think about this because there's no doubt we live in a a culture where the idea is, I just want to be happy. And so I'll just be what I want to be. I'll do what I want to do because happiness is what it's all about. And there's some truth in that. But it's been warped and perverted by Satan. And so that's why it's so important for us to think about it. And that's why I'm having us look at John chapter 8 this morning. So I'd like to read for us verses 31 and following. In this chapter, at the beginning of the chapter, you can see where the religious leaders bring to Jesus the woman caught in adultery. And he makes the famous statement, Uh, Let those of you who have no sin cast the first stone. Then he goes on from there and he says, I am the light of the world. And he says to the religious leaders and those who are becoming increasingly hostile toward him, if you do not believe in me, you will die in your sin. And so uh, some people that are listening to what he has to say believe in him. It says in verse 30. And so that's where we're picking up in verse 31, where it says, So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you heard from your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father. They said to him, We were not born of fornication. We have one Father, God. Jesus said to them, 
If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from God. For I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason you do not hear them, because you are not of God. The Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. But I do not seek my glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died and the prophets also. And you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste of death. Surely you are not greater than our father Abraham who died. The prophets died too. Whom do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. And you have not come to know Him, but I know Him. And if I say that I do not know Him, I will be a liar like you. But I do know Him, and keep His word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Therefore they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Father, we pray and ask for eyes to see and ears to hear pray that you'd meet the deepest needs of our heart for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. There's one thing you can think about um, when you think about the Bible, is that if the Bible isn't important to us on a daily basis, then we're not pursuing our happiness in the right way. Let me say that again. If the Bible isn't important to you on a daily basis, then you're not pursuing your happiness in the right way. In Psalm 119, it says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That's what this chapter is about, at least this portion of the chapter, because Jesus highlights the fact that the way we're going to be free is through the truth. And later in John, he'll say, Sanctify them in the truth, thy word is truth. And so when Jesus is talking about If you're truly my disciples, you will continue in my word. You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth he's talking about is the truth of his word, the truth of the Bible. And so if you go into our Sunday school classroom, you'll see on the wall uh, this Bible confession. 
It was a Bible confession that Jan reminded me this morning that the children were actually working on before the pandemic and were going to recite it uh, to the church. And so this is something that um, I wrote up at their request for the children. And it's just a simple way of talking about the importance of the Bible in our lives. And so the Bible confession says, this is my Bible. It is God's word. It is true. It is enough. It tells me about God and me and what Jesus did for us and God's promises to us and how to love. By God's grace, I will trust it and I will obey it so I can be happy in God. And so when we look at what it says in these verses at the very beginning, 31 and 32, Jesus says, so Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free, which means the truth is crucial to my being free. And we see in the, in the context that the Jews respond by saying free, we've been free, we're not enslaved anyone. And he says, if you're a slave to sin, then you're a slave. You aren't free. And so the freedom he's talking about isn't about physical freedom. He's talking about spiritual freedom. Free to trust God. Free to love like God wants us to love. Free from sin. And so he's highlighting the fact that the the real key to our being reconciled to God and being happy in God is the truth. We have to be set free from what hinders us. And it's the goal of the devil to confuse us and to deceive us through lies. The greatest challenge to our being reconciled to God and our being happy in God is a lie. And that's why the devil, he says, is the father of lies. And lies result in murder. He's a murderer and he's a liar. And so if we believe the wrong thing, we'll do the wrong thing. Lying or believing lies is believing the wrong thing. Murdering is doing the wrong thing. And so there's a connection between the two. And so living as God calls us to and loving him and loving others and having a joy in all of it is very closely tied, crucially tied to the truth. And so over and over again in this passage, the Lord will refer to his word. He'll refer to the truth. He says, why can't you hear the truth? Why can't you receive my word? And he's talking about how important it is to be people of the word. Calvin says, nothing is more excellent or desirable than the knowledge of the gospel, which is he's highlighting the word of the truth in terms of what is at the heart of the Bible, which is the good news of Jesus. He says it follows that we derive from the gospel the treasure of a blessed life or a truly happy life. He says Satan puts forth such strenuous efforts to extinguish the light of truth for it is the only life of the soul. So then the most important and most deadly wound for killing the soul is falsehood. So the most dangerous thing to you and me is a lie. And the most important thing to you and me is the truth. And the truth is found in this book. This is the word of truth that God has given to us. That's why we want our children to know 
that it is God's word. It is true. It is enough. And it tells me about all the things I need to know. I need to know about God. I need to know about myself as a sinner in need of a savior. I need to know what Jesus did for us. I need to know what God promises to those who trust in Jesus. I need to know how to love as a follower of Jesus. And I need to know that it's only by grace that any of this can take place. And that he calls me to trust his word and to obey his word so that I can be truly happy in him regardless of my circumstances. And so we want that for our children and we should want that for ourselves. That should be what we model for our children. That's what we should model to the world, that this is the path of true happiness. We can identify with people. You want to be happy. I do too. But I want to testify to you that God has told us that there are a multitude of ways you can pursue your happiness that will not bear that fruit. But there's only one way to find that true happiness, and it's in Jesus. And so that's our testimony as Christians. And so uh, this passage highlights the importance of knowledge, knowledge of the truth. And so Calvin could also say, when solid knowledge of God is wanting or lacking, there is nothing to support us. We have no foundation for pursuing our own happiness if we don't know the truth. We don't know what to trust if we don't know the truth. We don't know how to love if we don't know the truth. Uh, knowledge of the truth is crucial. And so in this passage, the Lord Jesus makes some important distinctions. He talks to those who be- have believed in him in some sense and says, if you want to really be my disciple, really be a learner, then you need to stay in my word, continue in my word, abide in my word, trust and obey my word because it's the truth. And it's the truth that sets you free. But then he says, you'll be free if the sun sets you free. So which is it? Is it the truth or is it the sun? Yes, the sun sets us free through the truth. Some people say, oh, you guys are just Bible worshipers. Uh, No, we don't worship the Bible. We worship the God of the Bible. And the God of the Bible, Jesus says, my word will set you free. I will set you free through my word. And so Jesus' word is highlighted, which is really God's word. And if we receive the Son and receive his word, we will truly be freed from sin and made happy in God. And so again, the issue is sin. We tend to think what keeps me from being happy is my circumstances. You know, if I just had, you know, a better house, a better car, a better job, you know, if my marriage was different or my family was different, or if I just lived outside of California, whatever it might be, then I'd be happy. We think it's our circumstances. Well, it's only true in the sense, the circumstance of my sin and my unbelief. Because you recall in the Garden of Eden, it all started with Satan speaking to Eve and saying, Indeed, has God said? Indeed, has God said? The very way that Satan misled Eve was to call into question what God said. And that's where sin starts. It starts with unbelief. It starts with a questioning of the word of God. 
In Hebrews it says, so we see that they were not able to enter the promised land because of unbelief. And so knowing the truth and believing the truth is crucial uh, in our lives. But the question is, what kind of truth will we find in the Bible? And as that um, Bible confession on the wall of the Sunday school room highlights, it tells us what we need to know about God. It tells us what we need to know about people, ourselves. It tells us what we need to know about Jesus and about faith and about love. That's what we find in the Bible. And so I just want to remind you of some things that we've talked about before um, to highlight this. The Bible tells us the truth about God. And one way we can just highlight some of the things that the Bible says about us is to say, the Bible says God is the supreme good who created us to be holy and happy in his love. The question is, do you believe that to be the truth? And is it setting you free? In Psalm 16, it says, you will make known to me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. And in your right hand, there are pleasures forever. That's a great description of true happiness. Fullness of joy, pleasures forever, the path to true life. Recently, there's been a lot of talk about the Asbury Revival in Kentucky And a lot of people are trying to evaluate what God was doing there. And it's hard when you're trying to do that from a distance. But people are talking about revival again and talking about what other people have said about revival in light of that. And Martin Lloyd-Jones, as well as many others, have talked about the fact that when a true revival comes, when God is at work by his spirit in a unique way, you'll find certain things going on. You'll find a manifest presence of God where people sense the presence of God in a unique, almost palpable way. They can feel it, they can taste it, they can sense his personal presence in the gathering of the church. They will also uh, find that there's a renewed emphasis on the Bible and what's at the heart of the Bible, the truth of God's word and the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And they will find that there will be Uh, a greater joy, a greater excitement about the things of God, and that there will be changed lives. And some of those lives will be changes in unbelievers uh, through the church and through what's happening in the church. But even within the church, and especially within the church, there will be renewed uh, passion for God. And so we see um, Martin Lloyd-Jones saying, what does revival mean? Well, we can describe it like this. It is a consciousness of the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, literally in the midst of the people. Probably most of us who are here have never known that, but that is exactly what is meant by a visitation of God's Spirit. It is above all and beyond the highest experience in the normal life and working of the church. Suddenly, those present in the meeting become aware that someone has come among them. They're aware of the glory. They are aware of a presence. They cannot define it. They cannot describe it. They cannot put it into words. They just know that they have never known anything like this before. Sometimes they describe it as days of heaven on earth. They really feel that they are in heaven. They are forgotten time. They are beyond that. Time has no longer any meaning for them. They are in a spiritual realm. 
God has come down among them and has filled the place and the people with a sense of his glorious presence. As someone has said, it's a brief glimpse of glory. And that brief glimpse of glory changes people and it fills them with true happiness, with joy. And so we can say that God is the supreme good and in his presence there truly is fullness of joy and pleasures forever. And so the Bible communicates that in all kinds of ways as as well as a lot more about God as well. The Bible talks about man and it tells us what is fundamentally true about us. Man is an idol worshiper who naturally pursues that which will never make him happy, but only leads to misery and death. Do you believe that that is really the truth? Is it something that is setting you free? In Romans one twenty five, it says, For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. The Bible says that we naturally, all of us as sinners, uh, trade in God, the creator, for what we can have in the creation. Believing that the creation, whether it's people or possessions or whatever, can truly make us happy, more happy than God. The movie, The Jesus Revolution, is out right now. Some of you may have seen it. We got to see it this week. And there's a line by uh, the hippie preacher in the movie, Lonnie Frisbee, in which he tells Chuck Smith, the hippies are like sheep without a shepherd. And part of the discussion in the movie has to do with what's going on in the hippie culture. You know, why are they doing drugs Why are they living this free love lifestyle? And why are they rebelling against the establishment and doing all that they're doing? Why are they doing that? Essentially because they're looking for something. They're looking for the truth. They're looking for real happiness. They're looking for something of substance. And the idea is they're they're not finding it in those things either. And so there was a need to reach out to them and say, let me tell you where true happiness is really can be found and that true happiness can only be found in God through Jesus. The Bible also talks about that very fact that the key to our being reconciled to God and delivered from our own idolatries is Jesus. And one way to summarize the emphasis of what the Bible says about Jesus is Jesus is the double cure who delivers us from the penalty and power of sin to save us from sin and satisfy us in God. Do you believe that's the truth? Is it setting you free? Um, In Romans 5, which we'll look at this coming weekend, Lord willing, it says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more having been reconciled We shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. So he says, on the one hand, we've been reconciled to God through his death, that we might be delivered from the penalty of sin. But he says, even more than that, we shall be saved by his life, which means we'll be delivered from the power of sin, which he goes on to talk about in Romans 6, 7 and 8 in different ways. And so when you think about all of that, the Bible pictures Satan as a dragon. And you think about the Lord 
Uh, well, The Hobbit, you got Smaug, however you're supposed to say that. Um, the dragon, and he's only got one little place in his armor that is a weakness. And Bard the Bowman finds that weak area in the dragon, kills the dragon, and frees the people from that oppression. Well, the reality is that the Bible says uh, because of the fall of man, uh, Satan became the ruler of this world, little r. God's the ruler of this world, big r. But the Bible does say he's the ruler of this world. And yet he had a fatal flaw. And the fatal flaw was, as C.S. Lewis highlighted, um, if a innocent, righteous substitute dies in the place of a traitor, everything changes. Everything changes. And Jesus uh, took down the dragon and he took down the rule of Satan through his life and death and resurrection. And so we celebrate Jesus because of that. And the Bible, uh, throughout the Bible, is highlighting the person and work of Jesus because it's crucial to our understanding of God and to our reconciliation with God and to us understanding what it looks like even to walk out the Bible. We have to look at Jesus for all those things. And then the Bible talks about the importance of faith, that um, if you know the truth about God and the truth about man and the truth about Jesus, but you don't trust Jesus, then you don't benefit from that. So the Bible talks in all kinds of ways about the, the importance of faith. And so faith is trust in the promises that rest in Jesus for pardon and perfection, which is forgiveness and righteousness, and hopes in God for help and happiness. question for us is, do you believe that that is the truth? And is it setting you free? It says in Hebrews 11, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Then verse 6, And without faith it is impossible to please him, God, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. We're saved by grace through faith. Faith is crucial. There has to be a response. The purpose in life is to find our happiness in God. The problem is we look for our happiness someplace else. The provision is Jesus. But the proper response is faith in Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. And that faith is not just knowing that Jesus did something and knowing that he exists. It means I entrust my life to him. I give him my life. That's faith. I put all my eggs in his basket. And I say, if I'm ever going to be delivered from my sin, ever going to be truly happy in God, it's up to Jesus. If he doesn't come through, I have no other recourse, no other help, no other way to go. Like Peter said, where are we going to go? You have the words of life. So I'm entrusting everything to Jesus. But I believe that he is able, that he's willing and he's able so that no matter what I go through, I can trust all that God has promised me because of Jesus. Not because I uh, have earned something, but because of what Jesus has done in my place. If you read uh, the Pilgrim's Progress at the end of the book, you've got um, Christian and Hopeful, the two pilgrims. They come to this river in front of the gate to the celestial city. 
And they're told that everybody has to go through the river and there's no bridge. Have to go through the river. The river is death. And Christian doesn't like that idea one bit. And so they both get into the river and Christian begins to drown, or at least he thinks he's drowning. And he begins to uh, say things like, um, I sink in deep waters. The billows go over my head. All his waves go over me. But Hopeful is right there with him. And Hopeful says, be of good cheer, my brother. I feel the bottom. It is good. But Christian's experience is a really tough one. He says, I shall not see the land that flows with milk and honey. And with that great darkness and horror uh, fell upon Christian. He says he had a horror of mind and heart, fears that he should die in that river and never obtain entrance in at the gate. He had troublesome thoughts of the sins that he had committed. But hopeful... um, with much effort, keeps Christian's head above water so that he doesn't drown. And he says, Hopeful says, Brother, I see the gate and men standing by it to receive us. And Christian says, Oh, they're ready to receive you. I don't think they're going to receive me. Then Hopeful said, My brother, you have quite forgot the text. Where it is said of the wicked, There are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They're not in trouble as as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. These troubles and distresses that you go through in these waters are no sign that God has forsaken you, but are sent to try you, whether you will call to mind that which heretofore you have received of his goodness and live upon him in your distresses. In other words, he says, don't forget what you know to be true about God. And what God has done up to this point and what he promises you. He says, be of good cheer. Jesus Christ makes you whole. Be of good cheer. Then all of a sudden, Christian broke out with a loud voice. Oh, I see him again. And he tells me when thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. That's called a promise. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you and from that point on they found the ground or christian found the ground to be firm and shallow and they made it across and so the promises of god are crucial we rest in jesus for those promises and we trust god for the help we need even in the most difficult times of our lives and we trust that he will grant us the happiness that he's promised and then Love. The evidence that I'm really trusting Jesus is that it produces love in my life. That's the evidence. If you read First John over and over again, he talks about the importance of love, and especially love toward other Christians. Love is the obedience of faith that submits to God's word and God's will because of God's promise of perfect love and future happiness. So there's a connection between Loving, obeying God, and what I'm trusting God for. That's the whole idea of obedience of faith. If I'm trusting God for certain things, it moves me to live in a certain way, to love in a certain way. And I have to ask ask myself, do I believe that that is the truth? And is it setting me free? You know, abortion is a 
an issue in our day and time. And one of the arguments is that people are in rough places, difficult places, financially, relationally, and they just can't imagine having a baby in those circumstances. Or it could be that they're going to have a baby because of sinful things that were done to them. And they can't imagine having a baby in light of those circumstances. And what the Bible basically says is, you have to focus on the greater circumstances. The fact that God has promised to be your help and to be your happiness. That God will enable you to handle whatever life brings you. Now, that's easy for us to say, right? But God says it. And it is truly easy for him to say because he stands behind what he says. And that's why when we find obedience difficult, he says, remember what I've promised you. I've promised to take care of you. I've promised to meet your needs. I've promised to be for you what you cannot be for yourself. I've promised to be for you what no one else will be for you. And so it's the obedience of faith I love out of what God has promised me. And it's the evidence that I'm really trusting God. If my faith in Jesus and my faith in God doesn't result in me wanting to trust God's word and obey God's word in my daily life, then I have every reason to question whether or not I have a real faith in Jesus. And so the Bible encourages us to keep that in mind. There's a couple other things um, the Bible talks about that runs through the scriptures and obviously the sovereignty of God is a huge thing that runs through the sovereignty, uh, excuse me, the scriptures. God is sovereign over all and one of the implications of that, there's all kinds of implications of that, but one of the implications of that in light of what we're talking about is God is sovereign over all so that nothing can keep God from keeping his promise of perfect love and future happiness. One of the main reasons God has told us about his sovereignty It's not to keep us from praying, it's not to keep us from witnessing, but it's to let us know that there's no reason we have to be afraid that he's not going to be able to keep his promises to us. If he's perfectly sovereign over everything, including every bird that falls to the ground, then we can trust him with everything that we've entrusted to him. He will keep his promises to us. And so, before, uh, under love is the obedience of faith, in Hebrews it says, by faith, when he was called, Abraham obeyed. Or by faith, Moses, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, followed God because he was looking to the reward. So that the promise is crucial to our obedience. The sovereignty of God is crucial to Trusting God's promises. How do I know that God can keep his promises when people are doing things that are trying to seemingly prevent that from happening? Well, it says, Romans 8, 28, we'll look at that this coming weekend too, Lord willing. Very familiar verse. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Do we believe that? Do we believe it's the truth? Are we, is it setting us free? God promises to do great and wonderful things for us. And the truth of God's sovereignty over everything is meant to help us not to be afraid that it won't happen. 
The fountainhead, you might think about the Mississippi River. Uh, the fountainhead of the Mississippi River is in Minnesota. It flows over 2,300 miles into the Gulf of Mexico. And if you just think about that in terms of uh, the flow of our own lives, the fountainhead of our lives as Christians is the perfect love of God. And everything that we're going through is being carried along by the perfect love of God. And where is it heading? It's heading toward the gulf of full and lasting joy in God forever. So wherever we find ourselves, whatever is going on in our lives, we have to look back to the fountainhead and say, oh, that began with the perfect love of God for me. And then I look down the river and I say, where is that headed? Oh, it's headed toward full and lasting joy in heaven forever. And it's all connected. And so the sovereignty of God says that as a believer in Jesus, I can know what the fountainhead is. I can know what the, the riverbed is. And I can know where it's heading. And therefore, I need not be afraid. And then finally... Jesus is a willing Savior for all. The Bible, in all kinds of ways, wants to remind us of that. And even as believers, we need to remember that because what did Christian experience when he was dying in the story? He began to doubt whether or not Christ was a willing Savior for him. He said, he's a willing Savior for you, hopeful. I'm not so sure he's a willing Savior for me. Maybe I could come to him and he not receive me. Jesus is a willing savior for all so that nothing can keep someone from finding their happiness in God through Jesus except their own refusal to come to God for mercy in Jesus. Do we believe that is the truth? And is it setting us free? Setting us free in all kinds of ways. One of the stories I love in the Bible is the story of the leper Uh, For instance, in Mark chapter 1, where he comes to Jesus and says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He did not doubt Jesus' ability to make him clean. The only question was whether or not he was willing. A lot of people are in that place too. Even a lot of Christians can get in that place just like Christian did. I know he can. I'm just not so sure he's willing. I'm not sure that's his heart to do that if I come to him. But the truth is, he is a, an able and willing Savior. That's why it says in Matthew 11, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That's a promise. That's a promise. So I just went over those things. For some of us, those things are familiar in certain ways. But just to highlight the kind of truths that we find in the Bible that are meant to set us free in all kinds of ways. And that's that's just touches on the things that we find in the scriptures. But it's making the point that if Jesus could say, if you continue in my word, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It implies that ignorance is a killer. To be ignorant of the word of God is to be ignorant of the truth. And that is a very dangerous place to be. There's a movie, an old movie that our family has seen before. And we kind of reference at different times called The Court Jester. 
1955 movie with Danny Kaye in which uh, this guy is trying to avoid um, being poisoned and trying to poison his opponent in this uh, conflict that they're going through. And so this guy says, okay, I got it, I got it. Uh, the pellet with the poison uh, is in the vessel with the pestle. The chalice from the palace uh, has the brew that is true. And so he's saying, trying to think, okay, you're telling me this is the vessel that carries the poison and this is the vessel that carries the brew that is true. And he, he kind of works through it and he finally figures it out. And then somebody comes to him and says, oh, they broke the chalice from the palace. So now... It's different. They've replaced it with a dragon with a flagon. He says, oh, no, the pellet with the poisons and the flagon with the dragon, the vessel with the pestle has a brew that is true. Just remember that. And so the whole thing is how confusing it is to realize what has the poison and what has the brew that is true. Because somebody's going to die if I don't get this right, and I think it might be me. Well, that's just an illustration, a humorous, humorous illustration of some really serious things, that there is a poison and there is a brew that is true. And where do you find that brew that is true? Where do you find the pellet with the poison? The pellet with the poison is in the world. The brew that is true is right here. This is where the brew is true. So it says in Hosea, my people are destroyed for lack of, of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also will reject you from being my priest. Since you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. This is why reading your Bible is so important because it says in the Old Testament to forget the word of God is to forget God. And so we don't want to do that, right? And Jeremiah says, God says, I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you on knowledge and understanding. That's what we're going to talk about um, on the retreat. Again, Lord willing, is Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8, which is the gospel to the saint. The gospel for the sinner, what you need to know to come to Christ is in the first four chapters. The next four chapters, you have the fruit of being justified, the good news to the person who has trusted in Jesus. And over and over again, in these chapters, it mentions the importance of knowing. In Romans 5, it says, We also exult in our tri- tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. In Romans 6, 3, it says, Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus, have been baptized into his death? Or Romans 6, 6, Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him. Or verse 9, Knowing that Christ having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Or verse 16 in Romans 6, Do you not know that when you present yourselves as someone as slaves for obedience, you're slaves of the one whom you, you obey? Or Romans 7, 1, Do you not know, brethren, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives? Or Romans seven fourteen, We know that the law is spiritual, but I am a flesh sold into bondage. Romans 7, 18, I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. Or Romans 8, 22, we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And then finally, Romans 8, 28, we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. We know, we know, we know, or... We should know, we should know, we should know. We need to remember the truth. We need to know the truth. 
because the truth is what leads us to trust and what leads us to love. And it helps us to stay the course. Because as we talked about the last couple of weeks, the world, as well as the flesh and the devil, are seeking to draw us away from God. And it's the truth of God that helps us to stay on course. I don't have to have time to get into this, but if you read Pilgrim's Progress, it talks about Pilgrim going, uh, or Christian going, to the house of the interpreter. And there are a number of different uh, pictures that are painted there about various aspects of what he could expect on his journey. And there are ways of understanding what he's going through. And that's the whole purpose of the Bible, is to help us to understand what life is all about and to be able to interpret my life in light of the truth. I need the Bible to help me to understand my suffering, my sin, my issues, and my relationships. It takes the Word of God for all of that. And so it just comes down to this, that you can't sit down and have coffee with God. Right? He's not showing up and talking to you in person. But you can get a cup of coffee and you can pull out your Bible and you can hear God speak to you. You can read your Bible. And then you can speak to God in prayer in response to what he says to you. And so it's so important that we realize the importance of the word of God because it's meant to reveal God to us. In order for me to know God, I have to know God's word. To think that I can know God apart from his word is just wrong. And there's nothing more important than knowing God. Nothing more important. It says in Jeremiah, Thus says the Lord, Let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, and let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, and justice and righteousness on earth, for I delight in these things. There's a song that we like to sing here, God Moves in a Mysterious Way. And then in that song, it talks about judge not the Lord by feeble sense. What is judging the Lord by feeble sense? Apart from this book. That's what it means. Based on your own understanding, based on your own intellect, based on your own experience, based on your own uh, perspective. We judge life, we judge people, we judge God, and it's by our feeble sense if we're not doing it by looking through and looking at the Word of God. He says in that song, Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter and he will make it plain. He's talking about our experiences. How is God his own interpreter? Well, obviously on Judgment Day, he's going to let us know a lot about what he was up to. But he is also, even now, his own interpreter by this book. He tells us what he's up to. He tells us what he's promised us. And he tells us as believers in Jesus that everything I'm doing is the fulfillment of my promises to you. And it's the fulfillment of my answers to your prayers. Everything that's going on in your life. And so let me just conclude by asking the question, are you trusting God's promise? Now, there are a lot of promises God has given to us, but the promise I'm highlighting here is in light of what we're talking about. 
Early on in my Christian life, one of the verses that stood out to me is in Proverbs 16:20, which says, He who gives attention to the word will find good, and blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. I want to find good. I want to be happy. I want to be truly happy. And it was at that point that I was convicted that I would find that in this book, through this book. And that if I gave attention to this word, I would find good and I would be led to trust the Lord and I would be truly blessed, truly happy if I did so. So my encouragement is, and we all need this periodically, is read your Bible. Read it often, read it daily, one way or the other, and read it carefully. And think about it. Spurgeon could say, read the Bible carefully and then meditate and meditate and meditate, which means think about it. What does this tell me about God? What does this tell me about myself? What does this tell me about Jesus? What does this tell me about faith? What does this tell me about love? Uh, How does this help me to trust God in my present circumstances? How does this help me to love the people that I'm struggling to love? That's how God speaks to us and that's how God gives us grace as we respond to his word. And so my encouragement to myself and to you is um, make sure the word is a priority. Don't ever be deceived into thinking that you can live on last week's time in the word or last year's time in the word. Uh, You need your daily bread. And this is our daily bread in one form or another, whatever it looks for you at whatever time. And God promises us great, great things. He says, if you continue in my word, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Let's pray. Father, as we pray, let me just um, encourage all of us to consider these questions. First of all, um, whether any of us here this morning need to be reconciled to God, whether or not we need to turn from our sin and trust in Jesus as our Lord and our Savior for the very first time. Have you turned from your sin? Have you trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? If you haven't, that's where it starts. And you can ask God for mercy Bible tells us that all those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I would encourage you to do that today if you have never done that. For those of us who have done that, who are believers in Jesus, we have to ask ourselves, are we trusting God's word and loving according to God's word? And even more fundamentally, is the Bible a priority in our lives? And if it's not, What do you need to do to make the Bible the priority that it needs to be for the glory of God in your life, for the pursuit of your own happiness, and for the pursuit of the happiness of others around you? Father, we just pray that you'd help us to think about these things and that you'd show us how it applies to us individually and that you'd meet the deepest needs of our heart for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.